Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Good afternoon, good morning, good evening. Wherever you are in the world, I'm Russell Toby. And I'm Robert Diamond. And this is Talk Art. Welcome to Talk Art. How are you, Rob? Today, Russell, I am feeling invigorated. Oh. And I'm feeling quite spectacular. Oh, yeah. Because it's not only our guest, well, our guest is spectacular, but it's also outside right now. The skies are alight. Yeah, it's firework night. It's 5th of November. It is firework remember, night, everyone. Remember, remember. Remember, I was about to say, can you do a little, like, acting bit where you, like... Remember, re- remember, the 5th of November. <laughs> Thank you, babe. That was glamorous. <laughs> I live for that moment. Yeah. Um, That's acting right there. I feel invigorated because today's guest has inspired me through the medium of television, obviously, which she's kind of been known for Mm. through her amazing TV show, but also through social media because I I started to follow her when you guys, I think um, it was the night she won a BAFTA um, for her series one of her TV show. And and I remember being like, oh, she looks really cool. And I, I started to follow her. And I've been so inspired by how politically engaged she is and how um, social change and um, sustainability are like actually genuine sort of concerns of hers. And I find it very inspiring to actually read people's posts when they actually mean what they're saying. And it's mm. not just like a trend thing. They actually have purpose and they're using their platform for good. Yeah, so outside of her creative talents, I actually think she's a really great human being. And I'm really proud to have her on this show because I think it's going to be a fun one as well on the 5th of November. So we would like to welcome to Talkart... Ashling B. <laughs> that was so weird to sit here and listen to that as if I'm like, go on. <laughs> I'll interject when you've said enough about me. <laughs> We're in your house, in your living room, Ashley. Yes, you are. And I put on that firework display the one night. <laughs> Everyone else was doing it And now it doesn't seem as special oh, I should have remembered Remembered That yes. day in November But for me Remember remember Is like any day in November Because it rhymes So I don't oh. always think the 5th Because we don't do it in Ireland Oh So Remember uh, remember Any day in November, November. Yeah like, oh, <laughs> Any old day Also the 6th Remember remember <laughs> November The 7th of November The 14th of November That's my birthday so, What the so, 14th Yes yeah, so I do remember that <gasps> Oh remember remember do you know about the 14th of November Like the 14th It's also my mother's wedding anniversary. Oh, I don't know if oh those wow! Are connected. Um, uh, <laughs> Something's happening on this? my birthday that someone's. Why would? Why, why do you think anyone wants to celebrate your fortieth birthday? Do you know about it? 
No, is it a party? Oh, I'm not been invited. Oh my god, it's my worst fear. All coming. You should have been. I, Russ, can I say no. something to you? What? Why do you think people are throwing a party for you? It's only a well, it's, it's, I genuinely have not been invited. <laughs> well, so don't worry. If, if, anyone, if you haven't been, no. no. And if anyone um, listening to this podcast is <laughs> organising a surprise, Kadeef Kerwin, Russell, Kadeef Kerwin at Kadeef Kerwin on Instagram as well. Yeah. Um, can you send me it to my email address, which I'm not going to give out, but... Um, Don't worry. Surprising you, Mr. Just worry about your phone number, though. We'll fix it. Yeah. <laughs> give out your postcode. Oh, wait, 91. 50, 50, 50. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so we're here with you. This is incredible. You were born in Kildare in Ireland. What is Kildare like? What is the art scene like in Kildare? Do you remember experiencing public art or institutions growing up? Well, actually... It's not technically an art scene in Kildare, but there was one very inspirational person who was in Kildare when I was growing up. And it was a sort of accident of time that we sort of uh, existed when I was just a little kid. And she was sort of an artist in residence in the small town I'm from. The town I'm from is called Kildare and it's very horse orientated. So horses, 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 horses everywhere you go. And I recently brought back a friend um, to visit and he was like oh you're not kidding around are you that's like proper horses like the hedges are made in horse shapes the pictures are horses like the people are horses like everything <laughs> is, is horses well like just like running around wild or uh, no there's a horse like there's a um, a horse racing academy which my work, mother worked in for like 30 years she's a retired jockey there's <gasps> also a she quite short school. your mum uh, yeah but light limber is the key right, hollow bones wow. hollow bones <laughs> like uh, a but a full, full heart hollow bones let's go Jockeys. Do people keep horses like dogs there? Um, no, they're kept more like royalty. So it's wow. like, yeah, they're treated better than the people. I'd say without a doubt. Didn't you? Um, wasn't you a tour guide? Yeah, for a, a horse breeding facility when you were yes. probably far too young to be doing that. The Irish National Stud. Yes, I was. It was my job to like be a tour guide and teach Americans how to like how horses have sex. What age were you? Uh, I was about. <laughs> 14, 15, 16. Too young. Yeah, were yeah, you, yeah. Were oh, you seeing a lot. A, did you see a lot of... Horse phallus. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, my God. Everywhere. Oh, yeah, I had to teach them about, like, horse condoms. and Wow, and, condoms. Like, yeah, so they have, like, big leather condoms that they that they can put on like teaser ponies the teaser ponies are the ponies whose job it is to like get the mare in the mood and kind like of turn her. her on yeah basically oh fluff her. God. a fluffer a horse fluffer yeah and then once the mare's ready they bring in the big lad <laughs> and he's like alright <laughs> so I believe you've been expecting me <laughs> so these these condoms come in little packets that they get out with their hooves I get little to put it packets on? yeah it's like a roll out blanket <laughs> Um, it's true what they say about them. I feel like I'm I'm I've become Samantha of horses from Car- from Sex in the City. We love this. Oh you? hi! <laughs> I'd like to give you a ride. Oh my god! Um, so yeah, so very horse orientated town, right? With maybe not art wasn't the thing, right? But there was this one artist who lived in the town called Jill Berry, mm. and Jill Berry passed away a few years ago, um, very sadly. And she was, without a doubt, I think the reason that myself and my sister have ended up in artistic worlds, even really? though I'm not a painter. Um, but my sister's a costume designer, quite an ah. acclaimed costume designer. Um, her big thing that she recently did, she designed Pursuit of Love, which is the BBC. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you'll see like the colours on that and, and the palettes and... Um, so she's been in a she assistant designed Little Women and wow. and and Incredible. so many so if you I can I and I often can see her work 
in the similar palettes. She designed the first series of This Way Up, my show as well. And a lot of the colour palette that we used across the series was based on her few costume fittings because she would see a colour palette and use it. And I definitely don't think we would be doing what we're doing had we not gone to these art classes mm. with Jill Berry. Wow. Because Jill, I don't think she was an art teacher. She was an artist who had kids come in and paint in her cottage. And she would sit there smoking and being like, oh, the thing about life is. And she never spoke to us like children. Sometimes some kids were like, what are you not going to, you know, butter that up? And she'd be like, well, that's life, kids. Let's go. But it was so like she. Was she Irish? Irish, yeah. Irish artist. And a lot of her work, she grew up Um, her dad. So Ireland is a, a neutral country and there's a lot of peacekeeping forces around the world. And her dad, Sean, was in the army. And I know he was based in Africa for quite a while. And a lot of her painting, I think, for her as a kid and her sculptures were sort of influenced by the African landscape. And it was mainly watercolours, but um, you can just see constant faces and and like like plains and desert in a lot of like her a work. horizon or... horizon and where um i'm from in, in ireland's a very flat area that's why there's so many horse horses and horse racing there for flat racing ah. and um the landscape is quite it's kind of like a not barren or grassy but it's a similar sort of like like desert with grass looking sort of the the curras this area and a lot of her work sort of tangles the two and you can see sort of horses and, and also buffalo like across some of her art but through watercolour and very interpretive um would you see her make work ever yeah lots of the time we were in there and she had her studio her sitting room and then the 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 her um classroom essentially but we would do clay with her and it was just very non by the school system but she was part of the school. No, 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 no. Oh, right. So these are separate art classes that my mother paid for us to go to. Wow, that's so good. Yeah, and so like I was very lucky to be doing that. But I also think like, you know, therapy wasn't a thing. I, I lost my dad when I was about three. And well, I was three, there's no about it, about it. <laughs> that's the legal term for the, the age I was. And I, there, you know, there wasn't like grief counsellors then or it wasn't anything that, and I think Jill was my grief counselling yeah. and I went for my, I, I was with Jill once a week during all the school term from the age of five to 18 so like that's a long time to spend with someone and just the regularity of her presence and her personality this sort of very like edgy there was just no one like her in the town mm. you know she was sort of like anti the the system sort of thing and she trained at them the NCAD, which is a national college in Ireland. And she was just, I think, thinking outside of the box and non-conforming. And colour was so hugely important. And when I see Sinead, my sister's work now, with Pursuit of Love and and a lot of the things she designs. I, I remember her, she, she assistant designed Pan, which Jacqueline Duran, who she assisted for many years. Jacqueline Duran's an Oscar winning, she she designed Little Women. Mm. And um, I remember when I, Sinead had gone to Burning Man and um, Sinead had used a lot of her influence in Burning Man to do like the area of Peter Pan in the movie. And it just looked Burning like Man Burning Man is, I mean, now it's kind of a parody of itself, to be honest. It's a festival in the desert in um, California, I think. And it's now it's become a lot of like, you're going to Burning Man, like a bit sort of like 
trendy guys go to the desert to find themselves for a week. But like a lot of sort of maybe, you know, wealthy people in the desert being like, I really, really found myself, you know. Um, uh, but it's very much uh, wear whatever the hell you like. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's maybe become, I mean, like a lot of things like people might say about pride now as well that hasn't become when money steps in, then suddenly it becomes rather than the artistic space. And the burning man was the idea that at the end, every the, this sort of man that was created artistically would be burned at the end, Mm. but it's also a leave no trace eco festival. So you're not supposed to, and you barter with like, I might have some whiskey and you might have some, yeah. So there's no money, but like, it's also commercialized in a way, in a sense, you know, um, so, so, th- so the colours from Burning Man. Colours from Burning Man, I can see in almost like directly affecting Pan, um, that movie, which Jacqueline designed, but I could see Sinead's, I could just, she's just always had an incredible eye mm. and seeing just how, sl- how slightly different you could use colour. And she really has influenced my show. And I, uh, in, in this way up, like each episode can only be 23 and a half minutes. Mm-hmm. And I mean, you can see how much I talk. So 23 and a half minutes is really tough for me. I'd rather write an hour, mm. which means that everything has to work harder. The background, the costume, everything has to immediately walk in and tell a story because we don't have time for just dialogue. So I'm very hands-on in terms of like costumes and set design. And I hate seeing, for example, a set design where there's no crumbs anywhere. Because for me, if I see a character in a TV show and it's spotlessly clean, I'm like, oh, that must be um, a quality about them. Yeah. They're seriously OCD. They must be seriously OCD about about cleanliness. And like it was always my thing where I'd go around going, no, we need more tea towels. I'd bring in half my house to like scatter detritus. No one lives in an Ikea showroom. So there's always like, whether you like it or not, like a toilet roll left out or Or you're a serial killer or a serial, you're a serial killer. There's like some tea bags left over or something in the sink. And if you want to go back and watch the show, you'll find like detritus everywhere. And I go back and like scatter the stuff everywhere of life because then that shows it shows what a mental state they're in. Um, the same with the costume. And Sinead's was a, has been a massive effect on me with sustainability as well. That we, she uh, published this thing called the Costume Directory with BAFTA, which is trying to make the costume industry more sustainable and mm. and use a lot of like charity shop clothes. Yeah. But the thing is, when you go rooting through a charity shop, you're also getting clothes that are naturally worn down. So you can make a palette on the on the television of clothes that are already look worn in because no one walks around with everyone in your life wearing new clothes. New clothes or again, yeah. that is a character trait. Yes. I see someone with barrel curled hair, um, which is like it for gals, because I'm looking at the two of your short hair, <laughs> perfectly curled hair, mm. which happens with so many American TV shows. And I hate it because I think it, dist- it distracts from story. Mm. For me, that is, I see, a, I see like TV like a palette. And I'm like, if someone has perfectly curled hair, as a woman, I watch that and go, how did she have time to do that? And why is she caring so much for this job? It must be more important. Right. So it just means it's, it's symbolism. You know, there's yeah, that yeah. Um, our, um, writer called Roland Barth, who we studied at university. And he talked about symbolism, that what you might show visually means a lot, like that the reader can read it very quickly. It's, yeah. it's a beret. Coding. To, yeah, coding. Exactly. Yeah. So I've always been really interested in, in that and storytelling, like, mm what colours you can use to suggest something and what the, the audience reads 
um, from from colour. And that's um, also something very involved in, in art. If you think of like painting, yes. yeah. you know, all the messages that you can have within mm -hmm. a painting and the colour choices, Emotions. but also the, yeah. the codes and all those things. So when you were like being taught by that teacher, mm -hmm. did you, was it, was there something that um, you were strongest at? Like, like did, did... faces and eyes. Oh, really? I used to obsessively and I still do when I doodle, I draw an eye and faces. And it's funny because I still, I like a photograph. I like a painting with someone in it. I like seeing a shot with a human in it. Mm. So I hate seeing just an empty shot where there isn't like an essay and a supporting artist, an extract of someone who doesn't know, walking by. I like seeing humans and things. And it's it's her growing up working with Jill and painting all the time. It's not incredibly far what I used to paint to what is saying this way up. Like it's not the biggest stretch and it was a consistency of it and the sort of and how I, I write as well. Yeah. Um in a way. So I owe so much to her. It's a kind of training, isn't it? It's like a it's like a discipline actually. Yes, it it is without you knowing it. And I think for me, and I'm not sure if this happened with you guys or I'm sure there's a lot of I think even Joe Lysis talked about it. Um when you're commissioned the 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 one of the parts of your artistic brain switches off. So when you're given money to be creative, the training is to learn how to light up the playfulness, the childlike playfulness that would do it for nothing or that does it for free with low stakes. And for me, I often find it really hard when I've been commissioned or paid because suddenly the creativity goes away and the importance. So even exams I found hard with art because I'm like, oh, it's an examination now. And so going consistently to Jill where the stakes were nothing. It was just free flow, pens, clay, um, art. It opened up something in my head that is very infinite. And mm. sometimes when people stick money it's the one thing that really gets. <laughs> I know. So I commissioners see it. listening to this, you don't want yeah, to get paid for anything. Yeah, like, please stop. <laughs> if you want the best work, do not. Pay. It's a really yeah. double-edged sword. Yeah. I find it similar when I say about laughing. Like I hate when people laugh before I've said something. And there's this one person I know, and I'm like, hi, hi. I'm going to call her Mary. I'm like, hi, Mary. She's like, ah, <laughs> hi. Yeah. And I'm like, she's like, how are you anyways? And I'm like, ah, you know, it's been a tough old year. <laughs> oh, has it? And she's already laughing before she's heard what I'm saying, assuming I'm going to laugh. And I'm like, look, I will make you laugh, but you've got to give me the chance. <laughs> you can't be giving me the thing before the, because it makes me sad. It's like you've paid her. She's Yeah, ex exactly. Yeah, and yeah, I know yeah. that's a really double-edged sword to yeah, say that because yeah. people will go, right, well, I, I, I'm nervous about laughing at yeah, you now yeah, because yeah. if I do it the wrong place, but I'm like, oh, it's just, um, so yeah, sometimes the, the paycheck, and I know I'm in a privileged position, but I've always been like that and still have had, my craft has been working out how to be playful within your, you know, mm. tax paying, bill paying. It's also like finding that innocence, though. It's, it's yes, kind of like fine. Exactly. I, I was talking to Russ in the car over here, like like this idea that, that we we're all quite fully formed when we're kids, actually, in mm. a weird way. And that we are our kind of complete creative selves in a way. Mm -hmm. And then because when you go to school and then you go to like, you know, into society and you get a job and then you sort of become part of all these structures, mm. suddenly you start to limit who you are. And yes. I think it's once you can find your authentic voice, yeah. actually success will come in a weird way. Like yeah. once you find your kind of passion and all those things. Joe talked about on your podcast before as well um, having a drink before gigs and Joe and I I mean two of us when we gig together often get a little bit slurry because we both like a little cheeky drunk before <laughs> a gig or two and um, it is funny though because I think sometimes what a drink can do this is not me condoning alcohol before normally doing your job but I think for me why I do it is 
to get back into playfulness and silliness. Mm. And that's what I need more than lots of prep and work to do my job. Other people need to sit at a laptop and type and that's their process. But I find I really need to feel playful and then it's just like, I can go for hours. But when uh, when something that I believe goes against what I think the thing is, like say money it goes against playfulness yeah, yeah. then it gets in the way in in, in some way when I I'm could working. never drink and perform that terrifies me I would never do you know what I would never ever do it for acting right. I would never do it for writing it's only stand up and I think stand up is maybe the only job other than maybe a barman in Ibiza where people are like yeah you are you're having a drink Way, it's gonna be a good night <laughs> like other jobs you'd be like what are you doing yeah, yeah, yeah. drinking like bringing imagine if you brought a pint into like surgery with you or yeah. like or like just onto stage in a play or you know like or, or driving a bus and some <laughs> yeah, are like, yeah, oh yeah. do you know what it makes me freer on the road <laughs> <laughs> like whereas people really they're so used to like a stool on stand-up and someone having a, a pint, pint there next to it, yeah and i think they know the reason it's because it's, it's the culture of, of it it's yeah, a yeah, culture it's of it and the craft of it but it is a really random accepted thing do, do you ever get writer's block or oh or, yeah and yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and what's that like because like you know this way up the first season when you get mm. your bafta for that that must have been such an amazing moment for you but then having to write season two like mm. does that come with a new kind of anxiety or pressure it, it it for me the writer's block is the exact same thing it's when it's not playful anymore so i think of scenes or it takes me say write a scene sometimes four and a half minutes and some of the scenes in series one and two actually took four and a half minutes but the thing took 11 months to write and it's because I had to write it on my own and in lockdown especially was really hard and I don't work well on my own I, I, I do it but it comes at a massive cost to time, my health, my sanity. Mm. When I'm around someone else and have someone to brainstorm with, I remember my um, best friend watched a, a chat show I was on recently and I was like, oh, was it any good? And she was like, yeah, no, I could see you were working though. Like you were funny, but I could see you had no one to play with. Or was it just you being interviewed? No, it was other people, right. but there was no playful person. Yeah, right, right, right. And if I have someone else silly... On a panel show, on a chat show, who's, we've had that. Who's we've had play that. Oh my god, you and me. So an example of that was Russell and I did Extra Slice, which is the watch along show to the Great British Bake Off. Oh, right. And I remember Russell just like I remember you yes anding me, and I remember like we had to do a blindfolded like icing of the cake, and. Like I just punched your cake when you won, <laughs> and, like, and, you, and I it it those are the moments that I genuinely feel like I could go on for hours and hours yeah, yeah, because yeah. I'm like yeah I have someone to play with yeah exactly so it's like that pushing is exactly you further it. yeah it's it's not even pushing me further it's, it's genuinely genius. a game you're yeah. playing tennis with someone not against a wall wow and some people go in and they do their material and they're much happier in a self-contained thing but I'm not afraid of hecklers because for me it's someone throwing something out that I could catch mm. and it's I've I've really only recent realized this massively in this year but to how that that playfulness it was when my friend Brona said it to me she's like you'd no one to play with mm. and that sounds so like what a silly thing to say as a grown adult but it's it has had a massive effect on my mental health going into a job whether I have someone to play with or not because I'm like oh I will be able to do the best work I can or not but it's such a kind of 
intangible thing to find sometimes, which is quite that. That's what I find hard. I, I also find if you have a director that you want to impress. Yes. If you love a director, oh and you think God. I want to yes. do my best work, then you do your best work. If you have a director you don't actually rate, mm-hmm. you think I, you're not saying you're not getting this, you don't yeah. understand this then you're not your best. It's really yeah. weird. You, I want to be teacher's pet. Yeah. If and they're good. Yes. Oh my God, if they're good. And then also, you're more open to a suggestion. Yes. Because if you think you know better from a gut instinct. Exactly. You're like, that isn't right. No, yeah, I yeah, wouldn't yeah. say that. No. Exactly. Yeah. But it's normally when it's a discussion. I often find like my favorite people are people who go, oh, I don't know. Let me have a think. And you're like, yeah, great. Of course. We're not all meant to know everything. Yeah. Or they're like, no, that's wrong. We're um, talking about that then. So... Do you find it weird that we're called, I was thinking this is on the way over, we're called artists. You know, when people refer to us yeah. as talent, I'm always like, well, that's mm. kind of, yeah, yeah. I, I can't call myself a talent. If you call me a talent, that's fine, but I can't say <laughs> yeah. I'm talent. Well, it's because weird because obnoxious. especially on, on comedy shows, it's uh, there's a talent booker and that is their official legal name. Yeah. But you're like, oh, so do you also book, say, the DOP and the costume designer yeah. because they're talented as yeah, well or yeah, the director yeah. um, or the editor. Um, but as an artist... Sarah Pascoe, who is one of my best friends and also a friend of uh, Russell. Um, one of my first kisses. Uh, oh my God, yes, of course. One Scandal. of my first kisses. Mm. Sorry to bring up celeb gossip here. <laughs> oh, We're in the Daily Mail tomorrow. But she, would you like a, a chocolate or a tea here? Oh, I'd love a chocolate. I'd love a sip of tea. You've yeah. you, made you? us a green tea you with pineapple in. Yeah, it's very nice. Very and also, nice. you gave Russell like a soup. I've got like dish. a cup of it's soup. Not. Cup. It's not. Do you know what? In the mug world, that's probably an artsy mug and you're being really conformist right now it says happy spring on it happy spring yeah that was left for me by an american b&b airbnb owner and she's like have a have a nice uh time in my airbnb and at the time my show this way up was called happy and that just said happy spring on it and i started stolen it no no she gave it to me as like an airbnb like give me five stars type of vibe oh cute Sometimes did they you? do that. I absolutely did not. There was a draft in the bedroom. I'm only joking. I totally did. Yeah, because of the cup. I wouldn't have, but because the cup did it. <laughs> the, big, so, the big cup. The big mug. Talking about your house, we're, we're sat in your, oh, yes. your living room right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I have actually been upstairs briefly and I noticed that... <gasps> creep. That there, <laughs> that there is art everywhere in your house. Yeah, yeah. So what, what, how, how, how has that happened? Is that something that you've always... Like liked putting things up in your childhood bedroom or, you know, yeah. and then grown with that? Or? Well, in my childhood bedroom, I actually, my mother, um, I would say, is a facilitator of the imagination. Uh, as I say, a retired jockey, she doesn't have a singing bone in her head or a painting bone in her arm. And, but she lets people be themselves in a very non-judgmental way. And I grew up in the countryside with like not much else. Like it was just myself, my sister and my mom. And she would sort of let me be the biggest personality I was, which I found later on in life maybe more difficult. That I was like, you could have given me a few boundaries. So I would have had so many problems as an adult. Yeah. Um, but she let me be very, she was just very accepting and didn't notice and still doesn't notice difference in people. And she teaches and looks after quite a lot of young jockeys and they love her so much. And I think it's because she has no, she genuinely doesn't judge people. She just, oh, wow. it just doesn't, and it's a glorious, like, she's just, she emits love like like a Care Bear with a rainbow, but in a very, not in like, I love you way, just more like, oh yeah, she's great, she's grand, yeah, come and stay in the house sort of thing. And um, I remember I was allowed, like, draw and pen on my duvet. 
if I wanted to just draw on pen. And one time I got some chalk and I drew a giant mural of Simba from The Lion King to scale of a lion on the wall because I secretly totally fancied him. And that was my first kind of horn was Simba, the Lion King and Aslan from the Lion King. And I drew a Mine giant- Robin Hood from Robin the Hood Fox. from the Fox. Yes, yes, another Hot. good one. Hot Fucking to, mine, oh mine was a Thundercat. Oh, yeah. I realised the other day. Yeah, yeah. No, not Lino. The other guy. The, oh. The t- Tigra. Katara. Tigra. Tigra. I think his name was Tigra. Oh. Something like that. Anyway, yeah, but, he was yeah. really fit. And I've only just realised last week, um, I was talking to someone about Thundercats for some reason. And I was like, oh my God, that was my first crush. It was a real shock though, because I hadn't, I hadn't realised that I'd had a crush on a cartoon. Cat, Especially a cartoon when you're, um, yes, when they, they've made them, you know, like, do you remember the caramello hair? And yes. I still hate hair, so they used to freak me out. Like a Jessica Rabbit. Like a Jessica Rabbit. Yeah. But who was with the voice of that? It was like, the, 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 someone narrated that who isn't anything like Jessica Rabbit. I remember the, oh, Miriam Margulies. No Miriam Margulies way. is the voice Stop. of... <laughs> Of the caramel sexy fucking Margulies. Yes. Yeah. Oh my, that is Hilarious. your second great bit of celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's supposed yeah, to be about art. really unexpected. Is, yeah, yeah, my yeah, art yeah. is gossip. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's funny because they have, when those are drawn, it's like how much of sexual like um, coding mm. do cartoonists put in that we don't even know about. So for me, I remember Simba's back and it's still like, it almost had, you know, like on on a man, like the front V Mm. that people like go for. It's almost like the back, the muscly back. There was something with the muscly back of, Mm. and and I was like, oh, it's funny when you say it like Jessica Rabbit or or the the Caramello um, rabbit that they get away with like, eyes or um eyelashes mm. but not boobs or a vagina obviously because <laughs> it's a hair yeah and um, but like where do they put the bits and like a little bit of a softer curve on the hip you know how do you make um cartoons noticeably female like we're picking up stuff that we don't even know is there yeah, yeah you know yeah. or like a sexy square jawline on the cat's you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. Like and Robin Hood had his sexy voice. Yeah, and he was also kind of like, he looks a bit like, I suppose, Roman from Succession, like a bit of a kind of sparky yeah, dude, yeah, like yeah. walking around, like in the way he yeah, was shaped. Yeah, he was, he was cocky. Yeah, and he was walking around on his hind legs like a man. Yeah. You know, sort of like edgy, like edgy sort of like beer. So I'm just, that is another part of art and design and animation that I'm interested in like, oh, how does someone, where's the line or where do they get away with with that sort of stuff? But yes, I've loads. uh, So you drew this mural though? I drew this mural, yes, which was a giant Simba from The Lion King. And like chalk used to get everywhere, all of my uniform, because I, you know, was absolute blackboard chalk on the wall. Yeah. Um, But my mother used to bring people up to, to look at it. And I also drew in pencil, like my sister, on the wall and she just sort of let me she's like well it's just a wall and that's really true it's just a wall I was a bit of a Banksy of the house you know <laughs> going around me like oh you don't have to know what it means mother but it's you know anti-establishment and by that I mean you <laughs> <laughs> but yeah she just used to let me sort of free flow draw wow. creative and imaginative and I think she was just like you know a mother on her own so she was just like I got bigger fish to fry than is my daughter drawing on the wall <laughs> yeah 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 um, and, and I think within our own we were lucky enough to have a bedroom each and I know not a lot of kids have that, but we had a bedroom each, so it almost felt like that was our space. So it's like, well, it's your room. You had creativity everywhere. So you had Jill Berry, you was going to yeah. her on the regular mm-hmm. once a week, and then at home you were allowed to just be creative home whenever you felt. Home was the allowance ins- of it. Wow, they had yeah. the permission to do and that. And I was going to say yeah. that, your, your mum was extraordinary. because it's, it's a, Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, that's amazing. 
gift. Yeah, and she did. She allowed a lot, and I think that has stayed with me. Yeah. That before kind of labels get put on you and all this kind of stuff. It was sort of like a labelless house, even in terms of gender. And I, I wrote this on International Women's Day, actually. Like my granny was um, like a woman who had six daughters and one son. But she was the first woman to wear trousers in the town. And she led all the farmers on protest on, on horseback. And of course, on horseback. On horseback. Yeah. And then my mother was like one of the few f- professional female flat race jockeys at the time during the 80s. Wow. And my cousin, um, James McInerney, he came second on that show Glow Up, which is a makeup artist show. And he grew up around horses as well. And he's a makeup artist and a drag artist. He's an amazing drag artist. What's his drag name? Um, it's J Mac. And his uh, Instagram, he's got like almost half a million followers now from it because the show went on Netflix. But his he, he uses his face, his art is incredible and he uses people as his art and then you wash it away. There is canvas for that time. There yeah. is canvas and he, um, I mean, you'll see, well, I'll show you his videos later or, or you'll be able to find them after the podcast. Um, but some of his stuff, like one of his best work on the show was like a David Bowie and um, one where he like put a ball cap on the model and made it entirely blue with like a, and it did encompass Bowie. It wasn't like making him look like David Bowie. Mm. Um, like a Ziggy Stardust. Like a Ziggy Stardust. Oh. And he's extraordinarily creative. And um, James found his outlet and ability to like even come out within that world. So um, he was in like Kildare as well? He was in Leash, which is a neighbouring county, but a very similar kind of like horsey background. and But also artistic. And farming was, was and very his... artistic. Right. And he like even, and he's like about 10 years younger than me. And I know like even seeing myself and Sinead do stuff in London meant that he knew it was a job he could potentially do. Wow. But he, there's a picture of him uh, and I posted this on International Women's Day, like a photo of my granny on horseback leading the all male farmers, my mother on a horse racing against men on a racetrack. And then James on horseback racing with like 10 inch heels in complete drag with long, a long black hair wig. Amazing. And and it's a beautiful photograph and he's like going at speed and it's not, um, it looks almost photoshopped, but it's not. It's him on speed on a horseback and I'm like oh, I wish my granny could see James on horseback and drag mm. so like the the idea of gender and what we're supposed to be if you take it off it sort of can really like let you go free mm. um, like if you're if you're not exposed to it it's not like a heavy handed thing it's just not there in the first place a little bit mm. it's an allowance of your full self mm. um, and, I, and I think that that expression I think I was allowed to do lots, but Jay, Jill, who was my art teacher and the artist, sort of gave me tools or the uh, like a way you could go into it. it. There's, you know, a lot of people might be allowed that, but they don't even know what to do. You know, there's Did she like, critique what you were doing? I mean, because you, you obviously went with some trauma as a kid critique. and you were like... Yeah, it was like guidance. Right. So it was like, here's how you do an eye. We'd start with this and we'd do this. Oh. Or what about you continue that fire? We'll do like, it, what what is a triptych? So she would like, let's try and cut this up. Now that you've done it, let's try and cut it up and make it three and see how it would change if you put one part of the painting over here and one part over there. So like editing and stuff like that, so essentially. Cool. Um, did you stay in contact with her when you moved to London? I did. I, I went back like in bits and bobs and we go for walks and it was really interesting. I don't think I knew what a massive effect she was on me. S- sadly, until like I'd clock in with her, sadly, until she passed away. Right. 
and it, I'm pretty sure it was like a brain tumor um trauma and after that I became really close with her father because I wrote a kind of eulogy for her and he sort of had no connection to her as a teacher um so he was suddenly seeing another part of his daughter who was lost too young through his students and again because I could write I could write something yeah, for wow, Jill what um, a gift. yeah so it was a very full circle but I would love I would love if she hadn't passed away I would love for her to be able to see what Sinead's doing and know what a very direct influence she has on Sinead. Like, obviously, mine is a bit more of a step away, but I would love for her to see... Her art history. Yeah, her art, yeah. Her, her art history, like her yeah. legacy a little yeah. bit in the work that we do. And, and, and lots of other... There's, there was loads of other kind of kids in the town who went on to do all sorts of artistic stuff and express themselves because of her, because of her, because and, in, of her and in a non-conformist way in a very and a lot of kids who were just dealing with stuff um and yeah and she was just such a unique personality that was like real kind of like rough with us in a good way like she spoke to me in a very adult way which mm. i loved mm. we absolutely and people just kids just loved her because they knew she was telling the truth. <laughs> you could yeah. just really trust her. Yeah, yeah. You know? It's really funny, because we're sat opposite a piano. You've got, like, a, an upright oh, piano here. Yeah. And when I... My brother died in my teens. And oh, I, so I The day after he died, I wrote my first song. And wow. then I, that was a career from, from, for me for 10 years or 15 years, whatever. But um, yeah. I, I had a very similar thing for me. Like, mm. um, I, I, I think through sound and hitting piano and writing pop songs was like a, a kind of yeah. art therapy thing. And you don't know what it is when you're a kid. Yeah, you exactly. You don't know what these feelings are but yeah. you need to go somewhere what was yeah. your brother's name uh Andrew Andrew yeah and he died in a nightclub from um ecstasy oh, and God. um I but for you was, was 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 making like you know if you were painting or you were sculpting mm -hmm. was that a kind of way like physically because for me like sitting at a piano yeah. it was like this physical um expunging or whatever the word is of or expelling exercising. of grief exercising, exercising. Yeah. yeah but it still is like it's still you're what you're trying to do is get it out of you at, and I think there's been ways I've done that which have been very unhealthy to try and get the feelings out of you. But I found that I I loved art, but I wouldn't say like Joe, still paint now. I love seeing art and I do throw colours everywhere in my house. I love seeing textiles and design and book and like your guys' book, I love. Thank you. And a little plug for the old book there. Um, <laughs> but I do, I love seeing it. And... Now my words are my banging out something on the piano. And if I'm feeling something, you might see it in a character, like no character saying this way up or in the things I write is wholly me, but there's bits of me in every single person. Yeah. The bad and the good of me, things that have been said to me, things that I've said, things I wish I'd said, but it's a way of getting it out. And for me, when I physically write something down, it's, it's you know, in um, Harry Potter, Dumbledore has a pensive which is like he, it's a beautiful kind of um, metaphor really, where uh, he takes, he's a wizard who takes the thought out of his head and puts it in like a sieve for later. So it's called a pensive. And I find that with words, like if I write them down, they're just left there for later. So they're not left in my head because my head is just full of whirling words. Yeah, and I did that all in my time. notes on my phone. I think if I yes, I and it's just there. I hear something, get a line, put it in there because yeah, I won't there. remember it. And it's left there for a while until you've time <clears> to process. <throat> yeah. Um, so I've my painting has ended up being sort of more words, I think, um, than anything. Mm. Um, 
So yeah. collection-wise, like Rob was, oh, yes. he was creeping around your house. As he was. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, just, just to like uh, emphasize I can see my knickers poking out of your pocket, by the way. <laughs> and you know, they will not to... go for as much as you think they're going to go for. <laughs> I know all too well. Do you, and so you have a collection of art. Do you, yes. do you have any artworks by Jill Berry, your teacher? Uh, uh, yes, I do. Uh, two of them were given to me by her dad. Um, so as, as, a, as a present. Oh, so I never bought after she had passed right. away. Um, and I'm quite, I became, he passed away this year and I became quite close to him and my mother's very close to him as well. And I touch in and it felt like a re, it felt like her death was meaningful and that we reconnected. Yeah. Um, and then her friend um, created this book, um, Jill, Jill Berry, visual artist, um, with a lot of her paintings kind of put somewhere finally. Um, uh, but that one there behind me, and you can see what I mean about like, it looking like sort of Africa or the plains or something kind of like desert like qualities. Um, it's quite industrial it. from here. It yeah, like it's a fire and the smoke and that. Like yeah, or... it's fun. Yeah, it's funny. Like again, isn't isn't that art, guys? Interpretation. Um, <laughs> it's um, weirdly making me think of Rothko. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, because there's something about her use of color. There is like well, that Australian mm -hmm. painter. Who's that? Who does the landscapes? The kind of outback. Do you know who I mean? I can't remember. There's some, yeah, the colors I know what that. you mean about the Rothko because she'd often do like a sky and a terrain in two kind of differing colors, you know, with that sort of blurred. This is um, small, this is like a five inch by five, yeah, inch, five inch square. I love it. That's one of my favorites. You were saying she's a watercolor, yeah, watercolor, right. but that's the sort of thing we would work towards in her class and um, and sort of do like we were quite influenced by her, yeah. But I know, I know one girl who went to her class ended up being a tattoo artist. <sighs> You know, like, so it had that kind of effect. Um, but so I have those ones by Jill. Another artist who I'd love to talk about who also sadly died far too young is Bartholomew Beale. Yes. And you said that someone had been talking. Yeah, about Kate Bryan. Um, we just interviewed her at uh, Soho House in White City and mm. she curates the collection at Soho House. Mm. And she's written an amazing book um, all about artists that died too young, yeah. um, including him. And he's, he's one of the last chapters. She knew yeah. him. She knew him really well. Oh. Yeah, And she'd bought his work for the collection and things like that. Wow. Yeah. Because he's a really special artist and his brothers now run his Instagram account mm. and I think anyone listening your feed or your day or it will be a way to make your phone more colourful and beautiful because when his paintings pop up it just is a blast of colour and there's something very theatrical about his work some of his work looks like actors sitting around mm. contemplating or there's one that I have which is just under the stairs there a, a print of his um, and I bought all of his prints from him uh, when he was alive and before he got sick, so so you met um, him and yes, yeah, he's he's him. a good friend of my friends. Um, Erica Murray was his fiance, and she went to Trinity uh, and as a writer, and was a couple of years below me at uh, university, and and I'd found him through my mutual friends and didn't I I don't tend to know anything about art other than I just love seeing color and when I see something I really like it or I get kind of engaged by it it's your instincts something kicks it's in. totally yeah. instincts and um more so than kind of liking oh, oh that reminds me of this it, <laughs> it, i don't particularly feel it's knowledgeable it feels like i want to look at it all the yeah, time great. in the house mm. um and it, it creates different feelings um so i've got a couple of um bartholomew's works a uh, prince in the house from before he passed away yeah he died in 2019 he's only 30 2019, years 2019 he was only 30 yeah. 
Um, and it was just such a loss because the, the amount of stuff, beautiful stuff, his his first painting that I saw and I was like, how much is this Bartholomew? And he was like, eh, 5,000. And I was like, I'm not there yet. Mm. But it's this gorgeous, like almost life-size painting where it's bright turmeric yellow and a clown in it. And I know some people are really freaked out by clowns, <laughs> but I really like clowns. I think it feels the circusy feeling of some of his paintings but you're quite felt like stand up yeah it felt like something yeah. about jokes yeah and joe talks about that as well joe likes it with the colors he uses and using a bit of humor in the work that i love like i don't want pain on the walls i want hope and i want humor and i want color i've got enough pain inside i want the outside to be kind of more hope and color so another artist or um cartoonist I have rather is Will McPhail. Will McPhail is an amazing Edinburgh um, cartoonist who does some of my favourite cartoons and he recently had a book called In I think or is it Out? <laughs> I'm really sorry Will. <laughs> He's a big comedy fan as well and his his stuff is stand up in one little cartoon. So they're just there by the stairs and so he's got this um, say for example pair of lizards and one of the lizard is holding his tail, which has been just cut off by the other lizard who's laughing his arse off. And the li- the angry lizard is saying, do you know what doesn't grow back, Susan? Trust. <laughs> and it's, it's just a, like it's just a sketch, yeah. but in literally a sketch. And then he's got this other one, which I haven't been able to bought cause it's, buy because it's sold out. And um, it's this couple with a pram talking to their friend I think it's oh lady no kids and she's just wearing her underwear over her leggings she's wearing a top hat and there's a goose passing by her and she's like yeah I think I'm just gonna follow this goose and see where it ends up and they're looking at her and it's like lady no kids and I'm like oh we can't do that we've got this baby in a pram and it's just that element of it's just it's really silly but there's something so of the time about the work and his recent book was a lot more um, like he used cartoons and, and animation to to talk about like more of a story, which that's not I don't I didn't like um, I don't really read comics. That wouldn't be something I'm into, but a lot of people really are. And it's beautiful. But I love one off. Yeah. He's someone else who fills up my. I used to love the far show. Do you remember those it's months? Ve- it's and exactly. And modern toss. Yes. And all of those. Yeah. And and I also love so Charlie Maxey who is a brilliant artist who does all the the boy and the horse ones yes. which a lot of Quite people dream like very dream like yeah. and but charlie actually has like a side talent cuz i've hung out with him a number of times we've mutual friends and charlie's a brilliant artist and he became famous for the boy and the horse yeah. and they've been become a real cult cult for mental health and again just a way of like with you and music where we're just like having a sentence with a little picture that's about hope and like getting through a tough time um which i think is beautiful but he also has an absolutely filthy sense of humor and we were in suffolk together um at a friend's do and he drew me to like um a lot of his things are massively pun based so you'll see them up in the bathroom and they're just Rob's little... already seen them all yeah. oh yeah you, I mean you, I know you I live in your bathroom you, you've had a bloody bedroom. look I've yeah. already had a bath oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, full bath I did think you smelled of all my deodorant <laughs> um, and he has the like there he just does them so quickly 
And it'll be like the looks of two elderly people and a cat in the rain and going, my, you've a lovely wet pussy. And it's that sort of stuff. And I just love that, that it's a sort of joke. My mother will go, oh, and my mother and all my aunts love euphemisms. They don't like anything on the nose, sexual, but they live for euphemisms. And so that sort of joke really reminds me of like, or or and there's another one about like, a cat not paying for something is like a very tight pussy and you know but not forking up the cash for the cat not forking up the cash yeah, yeah, and yeah. it was just he honestly did he does them so quickly but they're just brilliant so they're like two of my favorite things hey i'm ryan reynolds at mint mobile we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does they charge you a lot we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com It sounds like your collection is very personal. You feel like you need a connection to the artists yes. themselves to have the work in your yeah, house. Yeah, yeah. Why do you think that is? I don't know. I think I, I like, I mean, I love storytelling. So I love when I look at something quickly and I remember all the feelings and the place and the person and everything about it. I also have... Um, it's like a diary entry. Like a diary entry, yeah. Another um, uh, artist I collect is Annie McGrath. Annie McGrath is a stand-up friend of mine. And she's just a brilliant artist. And I do think there's collections of comedians who also act or actors who also do comedy. Mm. And then um, comedians who also paint. Yeah. And that's how they express themselves. Like um, uh, Eleanor Tom is another one who was in a a sketch comedy group. And she um, has a very bad uh, endometriosis and she um, paints a lot of her pain. Um, or is it polycystics? I'm so sorry that I can't remember which one she has. But I'm pretty sure it's endometriosis. And she uses her paintings to like paint her pain. Yeah. And she's a brilliant um, comedian and writer as well. But do you find them ones hard to live with then if you're saying that you don't like, you want to find the joy in work? Do they but it's seem not, quite... it's, she's not always painting her pain. Like as in she uses her pain to like release and paint something beautiful. Got it. So it's not like seeing someone be like, ah, you know, or a war. Yes, transforming so, the pain into something beautiful, hopeful, inspirational. Yes, exactly. A survival yeah. memento or something. And then moments are a little beautiful. Like over my bed, I've um, uh, an Irish artist called Claire Henderson. And it's just, a, it's such a tiny detailed but very kind of almost like half a meter long drawing and it's just someone trying to hold on really tight to a kite and to me it's not that that's sad but it's just someone holding on to something and it's like when the wind's blowing hold on and maybe a lot of tension and, and tenderness in it so when I look at that I remember the feeling of like hold on and it's almost like remembering the me who bought it 
like a little message to myself in the future saying, hold on yeah. type of thing. So that's what I get from the art that I buy. I remember the why uh, the, that it's almost like I'm sending out like Memento, you know, the movie Memento, like writing down little notes to myself in the future. It, it feels like that in your home, though. Your home is like really layered. There's like so many different textures and different like even plants and so like plants. and colors on the walls and like mm. it almost feels like a kind of mood board of some kind. It's like you surround yeah. yourself with all these wonderful memories, ideas, thoughts. Have you have you bought works of art where it like might be congratulating yourself for something or remembering a moment in your career or or yes, in your life? Yes, I or... definitely do that with um I do that more with jewelry. Right. And I love jewelry designers. So it's another form of art that I love is like goldsmiths and jewellery designers. And there's this one company called Alighieri who are mm. um, a London-based yeah, um, art. They're amazing yeah, and yeah. they handcraft a lot of their um, jewellery in London. And it's all based on like Dante's Inferno. Mm. And so they there's sponsor like a lot of podcasts. And they? Yeah, they do in art. Stuff. They're oh, very involved they? in the art world. Yeah, yeah. and, and I, I think they care a lot as Loads well. Loads of artists I know, uh, sculptors mainly, wear their jewellery. Yes. I've seen it so many times. Oh, really? Can yeah. You yeah. And also, yeah, I recognise it now. Oh. And, yes, and and, and also uh, loads of pop it. stars as well. It's like mm. all the kind of people that I respect actually are wearing yeah. their It's funny, yeah. So I love their stuff. And Chupi is another um, uh, is ring designer. It's not crazy, no. Um, not crazy, no. I, I always feel... Like say with my Instagram when I talk about sustainable fashion. Yeah, which I love. I'm always very aware of who my demographic roughly is. Mm. And so sometimes if people are going to gift me a designer thing, I'm like, fine. But like if I was to post about this, you're probably not going to get much business from it. But if I post like a small marketable company, mm. it's a small Welsh company. And like I don't take any money for my Instagram, but like it's all small businesses. Um, so I can do what I want in that way. Um, I it means that you're probably going to get more clicks from it because it. the market price... It's accessible. Yeah, it's accessible without being... Elitist. I tried to, um, Elitist, but also not... Clothing should cost more. Uh, the stuff that's made should cost more. If we need people to be paid fairly, if you buy something for very cheap, someone's lost and it's normally a person and it's normally a person who couldn't afford to lose much so that's what i feel about with clothes and stuff like fast that. fashion fast fashion exactly yeah, yeah like buy like, something that's more expensive that yeah. you then actually keep and then wear it yes because, like numerous yeah, exactly, times exactly numerous you know, times like they have years, that thing called it. the 30 wears challenge yes yeah. buy it and when that what's started that? me into, well it's what started me into sort of being more eco or conscious rather than eco i would say and it's about before you purchase something, especially with clothes, think to yourself, are you going to wear this 30 times? And that's like the minimum to like offset maybe the, what it costs from an environmental point of view to wear to make a T-shirt. Um, and because some people buy stuff and you actually realistically probably wore it once or twice <clears throat> or a T-shirt or something like that. And you're like, no, you should at least be wearing this 30 times like our grandparents and even parents did rather than something you're like, yeah, I sort of bought and then like got rid of it, gave it to the charity shop. The charity shop needs good donations but that's not an excuse where it just to give it to the charity shop just don't buy it in the first place and mm -hmm. um, so that's that cyclical thing and i hate greenwashing as well like you'll find companies like h&m have conscious collections you can't you can't be like representing peace if you're an arms dealer that's impossible to be in any way eco if you're creating more harm than 
the eco thing might that there's no offsetting isn't a good thing to kind of offset yeah. what you do so i, I met um Gemma styles um at uh gq heroes event we were just at mm. yesterday and we've become friends in the last 24 hours yeah and she was wearing the most beautiful dress and i kept saying to her where is your dress from and she'd actually like borrowed it from a company her, the rental company yeah i think yeah, so or one of these things loads of rental yeah but i love the now. idea of that and also the idea of like talking to your friends and borrowing their clothes yes um for an event so if you've got you don't have the money to buy a dress or you know you don't want to because you don't want to support the craziness of fashion it's yeah. like it's like you can actually borrow things from each other i love that idea and my boyfriend borrows all my clothes yeah but yeah that's, that's that. is that the but, same but sort no of thing? It, it absolutely it is, it is. is. It is actually i think there's a lot more of a, i want to borrow your clothes in, now i think with with being gendered for a second <laughs> no. if you'll excuse me I think men tend to not see as much like, why would I not wear the same thing over and over yeah, again right. to stuff? And you're like, yeah, you'd, you'd wear it like 30 times. I think there's We turn our pants inside out. So, yeah, whereas yeah. fashion is sort of, yeah, and like, and out again and out again, stick it in the freezer, cut it down. <laughs> 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 Scratch it, put it back on. Like, listen, who's like, no one's down there today. <laughs> <laughs> saving water, lads. I'm just saving water. Okay, you minger. Um, but... I think that with fashion, this idea of seasons is unsustainable. Mm. And the idea and that maybe with the pandemic, what's happened is people are like, oh, the season is loungewear forevermore. And the idea that you would get something for just an event is mad or that you would want to look different in in Jenny's wedding to Grace's wedding and wear something different rather than buy something that suits you and look nice every time you don't have to look different. Like that idea that we sort of had. I think came about in the 90s with the fast fashion movement. Mm. And I, I do think fashion has to move with that now of like a different type of business model. Um, uh, you know, and it's so that, I mean, that that is maybe a little bit of a tangent from art, but I don't think it is. I think it feeds into design and art. And, and another way art comes into my life is my brother-in-law is an architect and a designer and he just had his... Um, uh, he has a business called Nebia Works, which they just started up and it's kind of like they design whether it's a building or a piece of art or a sculpture based on how they see the world. So they were um, uh, commissioned by um, the uh, by the VNA as part of the London Design Festival mm. to have um, the first ever installation in the what's it called like the, the courtyard courtyard there, the, yeah. the, the, mm. in the water yeah. though what's yeah. that called the fountain um, it is yeah at the VNA yeah. Um, oh, the pavilion. Pavilion, the pavilion. Yes, yes, yes. So there'd never been anything in the pavilion before, and he just had his piece there. Wow. And it was, and it's now it now went to COP twenty six. Um, uh, there it's about the only nice looking thing at COP twenty six at the moment. What's that? COP twenty six is the climate conference that's on all this week. Got so it. it's got um world leaders from all over the world. And going Leonardo in. DiCaprio. And Leonardo DiCaprio. Yeah. Going and Stella in. McCartney. And Stella McCartney. Everybody's there. So yeah, everybody's there. I mean, it's the fashion <laughs> event of the month. Um. <laughs> So is your brother-in-law Maddaf Kadao? Kadao, yeah, and Kedow. his partner, he's co- the, he's a co-founder with yes. Brando Posoco. Yeah, Posoco. Posseco, he's Italian. Posseco, I thought yes. it was like Prosecco. Prosecco. Yeah, I'm, I'm hoping yes. it's Prosecco. Now yeah, I feel yeah. bad. Um, well, sure Nebbia works. They are excited by the moment where rationalists meets irrationalists, where expertise meets romance. So they're mm-hmm. architects. They they're trained architects who, but their their dream for their business, and I think I like. It was so amazing to go and watch because a lot of architecture, as I've learned, is pitching for stuff that never gets to get made. Yeah, competitions. Um, and it's a very competitive um, a, a environment and, and workplace. 
and I was so proud to stand there and watch something that he'd made. And it it looked it was all made from aluminium, which is recyclable. And so the whole piece could be broken down and turned into tin cans if they wanted. Mm. But it was so beautiful and it, it looked almost like um, <laughs> a really fancy bus stop. And I, he's probably going to kill me for saying that. But it was beautiful because it was <laughs> made. It's a sculpture, so, isn't it? A sculpture. Yeah. But it was an interactive sculpture and in that you could go and sit underneath it. And it was really funny. We were there the first day it opened and there were children everywhere. And they ran into the water and people were naturally drawn towards it. Mm. So a lot of their architectural you know how how you interact with space really affected it because people just interacted with it they didn't need an invitation mm. so i often think that's um a real sign that something's working where people don't even know to be precious yet they just walked up sat underneath it read a book uh splashed around um immediately with and it was a beautiful piece and then on one of the nights there was this um at the vna and it was totally like it was a really inspirational night because there was this uh, out in the pavilion. There was um, Madeline Brandon's um, installation, all beautifully lit up at night with um, a, a cellist and a harpist mm. and a DJ there and the music. And the acoustics were totally different w- when you went in and sat underneath mm. their installation. So you could just hear a sound magical, yeah. bouncing around and then you'd come out and it sounded totally and it's different. Warm night. And it's a warm night oh, in the summer. Heaven. And it was like, like you know, suddenly there were, you know, you're allowed to be in a crowd again. Um, mm. It's beautiful. I doubt that's what's happening at COP26 and Boris Johnson's probably not sitting under it listening to a harpist. He's definitely not wearing a mask. <laughs> yeah, he's definitely not wearing a mask underneath <laughs> no. it. But, um, and then inside in the reception of the VNA, which is just this area right by the gift shop and in the background you could see all of this sometimes stolen sculptures and different bits and bobs mm. were this um, collective called the Sound Collective um, or Sound Advice. Yes. Um, which are a, a, a group of people I met through Madov that night. Yeah, they're, they're an art and architecture collective. They're an art and architecture yeah. collective who published this book, which I have beside me here, called Sound Advice, Now You Know. And it's just been really eye-opening just, you know, as a white person who grew up in a very white country, just to be have my head opened by things I didn't see were there, like how you can have racism or inequality within space and design. Yeah. Um, and, you know, one of the essays in this book, it talks about like there's no point shortlisting people all the time if they never get the jobs. You know, you don't look good because you constantly short peop- shortlist people who aren't white within design. Yeah. But they show how about like inequality in space and when people are designing space, uh, who is naturally brought in. So one thing I loved about Madov's installation at the V&A was, first of all, it's free to get into the V&A. Second of all, it was like children who do not know what's good and what's bad and where they're supposed to go and not supposed to go, running into the water and playing with each other and splashing. And it didn't feel like you had to know about art to get to interact with it. And the more I kind of read the essays in, in this book, I realized like one one um, a, a person in it, I think I, I earmarked it. I think, where is the writer of this wrote about just say when King's Cross was being developed Um uh, that it was uh, sorry, I can't what, find recently um, developed. All right, back yeah, in, recently developed. Yeah, the like the, the, the coal drops yeah. yard, how that was designed without bringing the community in. Yeah. So it's like got it's beautiful. I love it, but I'm probably the person who was directed at 
um, who didn't grow up living around King's Cross and it's got a lot of high-end shops and restaurants and no like daily essential shops and while it was sort of um, it talks about how it was denigrated as being a landfill waste you know full of sex workers or whatever like as if that was a bad thing in the first place it wasn't they didn't meet maybe the design halfway where there's essential shops still there or a lot of the small businesses who used to be able to afford to have their businesses in King's Cross. And it's, I, I often... It was pro- properly gentrified. Yeah, properly yeah. gentrified. And then, you know, the people who were living there pushed out to the side. So, like, communities weren't brought in or even it, it said one example of, like, the people brought in, for example, a, a, a day where... Um, you know, they would have a food festival of like Caribbean food. But then the actual people living in the area were like, but it's also created a noise problem for the people actually living in the area. Mm. Um, so it's it's about how space... It's, it, I, I feel like as I talk about it, I don't off, all have the words and, mm. and, and Joseph and the people who run Sound Advice have so, yes, so much better words. Joseph, Hervey and Pooja Agravel, and they're the, the founders, but Sound Advice is their alter ego, which mm-hmm. uh, they say allows them to say things and what other POC in the industry, they get to say things that they feel worried about saying as individuals. Yes. But as Sound Advice, they're now able to mm-hmm. voice Yes. Uh, you know, what what the stuff that's going on that is really important to them mm. and that is in showing the inequalities of architecture. Yeah, because, because you know, there's not that many people of colour are given mm-hmm. the opportunity to mm-hmm. create architecture and architecture also is designed in some ways systemically to trap people in mm-hmm. or keep them you know a lot you look at housing estates or you look mm-hmm. at big towers mm-hmm. like we talked to an artist called Cheyenne Julien who's I'm a massive fan of and a lot of her work looks at the racism in architecture mm-hmm. how communities are kept in yeah. in these kind of concrete well, I mean, jungles if you look at something like Grenfell Grenfell which is just this huge disaster of people who were um, put on top of each other um in unsafe houses and so many people who are trapped now um, uh, in an economic sense by the cladding scandal Mm. and the racism within that, like where we expect people to live without access to joy or hope within the structures they're living in, as if that's something that has to be, oh, only a rich person would have, say, the lions outside of their gate in the long, twisty driveway. And you're like, it doesn't have to be that that, um, expensive thoughtfulness um i often think about this with with the governmental systems if you don't have people representing the people you're governing governing how do you know to do stuff if if i'm even in charge of a housing block and i actually don't know what it's like to live in a housing block i didn't i grew up in the countryside i cannot say that i grew up in a working class environment what an english person would describe as a working class environment so i don't innately know so I wouldn't and maybe innately know removed. how to design. Yeah, yeah. Not that I'm saying I couldn't, but with no one else around me to say, hey, that won't work. Like, yeah. I can tell you that much, that's not going to work. Well, if you're too far removed and you don't have empathy yeah. to be mm-hmm. involved, then that's the issue, isn't it? If you don't know the yeah. price of a pint of milk, but That's also, I, I feel like so many people in power, they just don't want to listen either. They wouldn't, you know, sit down and listen to people's experiences. Even though it's like cost saving, like it's actually better value to include people in the stuff you're trying to create. Yeah, but particularly because if they then, um, you know, have a happier experience of the world and, mm. and feel, you know, just on a day to day level, like their life is easier somehow, mm-hmm. you know, through through 
walking out of their front door because of the way their their yeah. housing estate is constructed yeah like that's a massive thing because then that changes the mm -hmm. the way that they see the world the mm. way that they'll they'll interact with the world and the way that they'll be able to live their lives well, the space they take up they yeah. feel like they're allowed yeah. that space permission that was what was so amazing that night at the vna was that like it was taking up space in a space that wasn't technically designed for the people who were there mm. to take up space for. And it felt incredibly powerful. And it was like um, uh, there was a, a musical group oh, of, of DJs as well who were there, whose name we can tag them later on. Um, I think it's Op Block Radio, I think. But they were doing music again, like just like loads of amazing pop and hip hop in the middle of the VNA and I could see the security guard being there like this is a very different type of day to the one we used to <laughs> mm. but I was like yeah but I want to be here now I don't I wouldn't innately be drawn to a gallery or a museum it's like how how do you bring people in yeah, not totally. by shutting people out yeah. um, myself included in that um, and it's the same with gender members of the LGBTQI community. It's like, what says that this space is safe for you? Like, what says that this is inclusive? Totally. And it's not about, it's about not even questioning. It's about making spaces where you don't even question. When I talked about my mother earlier on and how much allowance there was, mm. that you don't even question that there was, you weren't, you didn't even know there were tickets. You just walked straight in. It's that feeling that you walk straight in somewhere rather than I manage to get a ticket for this for this this space. It's that feeling of like this belongs to me. And when I watch Madeline and Brando's uh, Brando's installation, no one thought they needed a ticket. They just walked straight into the yeah, space yeah, yeah, because yeah. they knew it was including them. Yeah, and it's helping people cross that threshold, mm. which can be such a terrifying thing. Russ and I were talking about it yesterday. Weren't we? Jordan Castile was an artist who has been on the show, and she said this amazing story, which stuck with me, is that. She predominantly paints members of uh, the communities that live in and around Harlem. Mm -hmm. And she had a big, she's like a big superstar artist now. She had a big exhibition at the New Museum and she had the opening night. And she said that she'd invited all of the sitters for the paintings. Yeah. And they turned up and they'd never been, most of them had never mm -hmm. been to a museum before, let alone seen themselves in paintings. And they were invited by people predominantly white people who were like hello I've seen your work and they were invited into the space and suddenly they were on the walls and they were saying to her we're on the walls we're allowed to be here yeah. and they were going up yeah, to yeah, like yeah. the guy who runs a museum they're going up to these collectors these yeah. benefactor billionaires who are giving money yeah. and going hello how are you doing speaking to them saying hello because they were like we belong we're on the wall so if I'm on the fucking wall yeah. then I'm allowed to be here the same as you I find that so inspiring and that's yeah. what it's about well even as I it's funny because as I listen to you and I listen to you in your London accent I think to myself when someone might have thought what the sound of British art and a podcast about British art sounds yeah, like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They might not think it would sound like a London accent or like how stuff is supposed to That's sound. That's why we started it. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, and I just really appreciate that because art is, is, is you know, as old as, as like humans making stuff, but it's it's got this idea around it, the same like as like comedy or making TV shows or what like 
uh, a boss is supposed to look like, what an executive producers look mm. like. It probably wasn't supposed to look like me walking around with a bun in my head in my, you know, slippers going, right, lads, we need to get the day sorted today or let's make the script, you know. Making the set mess. Yeah, making the set mess. <laughs> okay, lads, can we have a team meeting? You know, and yeah. me sort of with like my um, shitty old slippers and my tracksuit bottoms on going, right, okay, let's look, have a look at this rather than the business suit of what TV is supposed to look right. like. And when you challenge what stuff is supposed to look like, and I think a lot of that comes from... Um, either a mentor or a parent or someone who got in the way in a good way before the obstacles could come in. So who fired up a little sort of iron inner thing in you before the world would come and knock you around, who kind of gave you a little fiery arrogance um, and then like all the other stuff can come in. I definitely have that around gender. Like the sound of you guys talking does not tell me to shut up. The sound of men does nothing to my ears. Like it doesn't signal anything to me because I didn't grow up with it signaling anything to me. Like mm. be quiet or it's time to talk to talker. Mm. Um, and that's not me being derogatory about men in any way. It's just it, it's something that happens a lot when you hear something to your brain happens like, oh, that's the sound of authority. Mm. Or when a lot of working class people sometimes hear someone speaking like this, it's like, oh, are we supposed to listen to that voice? And the people use it in advertising all the time and what a voice signifies or a, um, what a look signifies. Or a uniform or something. A uniform, yeah. anything like that. And, and our brains read it because we've never been told anything else is different. Mm. Um, and symbols and stuff like that are just so important and they can just suddenly break through. I remember reading Grayson's Perry, Grayson Perry's book, All Man. And just when he said that like we use so white straight able men I was like well that's normal and I'm in some way a minority or outside of that and to even think well maybe that's not the normal mm. and it's it's not because that's actually not I think it was something like 12% of London is straight white able-bodied men mm. but we're like oh no but it's 50 and then everyone else is 50% mm. <laughs> you know <laughs> everyone else is 50 isn't it? you're like no that's not even the numbers yeah, yeah, yeah. we just feel it is yeah, yeah, yeah. and that was really mind-blowing to me um because we don't know how much of that we're walking around with um and I, I think uh, like it's collective was like that kind of, and, yeah. yeah and it sounds but like you know this the, I I have learned like I haven't really learned about art since I was at school and with Jill and I've probably learned more through your guys's podcast and the book which I would leave beside my bed and sort of scan through the odd artist or something like that um but I would I love listening through people you might not think are going to be your um teachers mm. and I remember that I hated sort of sitting down with the official book you had to learn for your exams and the seven people you had to learn about. Um, and it was the same. I did philosophy at university and I, I signed up to it because I wanted, I loved thinking and alternative thinking and, and thought and discussion. But most of the three years was learning about the eight writers and what they thought about the economy and politics and stuff like that, rather than discussions about life and active philosophy and like the school of life sort of stuff that, that I follow now. And that to me is a lot more accessible because we are all philosophizing all the time. But yeah. philosophy feels like a very, you know, like antique, antique, like hot thing that you would do. But actually stand up a lot of the time is broadly philosophy with jokes. Um, so it's like takes on life or working out like how do humans get through life? And, and because this is how I'm doing it. 
Um, and that's like if you look back at a lot of the philosophers that's essentially what they're writing and with a lot of words and I used to get really boggled by the amount of words mm. I felt like it was sort of I didn't have the I didn't feel I had the education and the words to get into what they were yeah, saying it's totally impenetrable it was impenetrable and the thing is about it as well is like I think if people um talk at you or or that kind of education where it's like they just sort of shout at you. You don't really hear it. And I think what's great about podcasts and what's great about the way that things are starting to shift a bit um, is that it's all conversations and, and we're actually listening to each other. And I think talking with each other is the most powerful thing because because you can listen to a show like this, for example, and you might go off and start looking into that architectural group and yes. and you can you can spark off all of these you know, the, these new tangents, which, or estuaries even, that's and a fancy word. We're like. getting impenetrable ourselves. <laughs> yeah. Like, um, so, you know, you're earlier on, you're like, oh, why do I collect the bits I collect? Yeah. It's because I was really inspired by um, the guys because with the sound advice, because I was like, oh, I remember the feeling in the room. And I remember the feeling when I looked at Madhav and Brando's, and I really, I'm not just saying this because he's my family, but I felt so moved by it. Mm -hmm. And, and I, that's what I remember. And that looks nothing like that painting or the Will McPhail cartoon with the lizards mm. out by the door or looks nothing like Jill's work. But there's a feel like it, it, it made me feel something. So they are, when you said earlier on, like diary entries, that's how I sort of feel art or like it could be you're wearing today, like Stella McCartney jumper, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I love those designs because they're quite cartoony. Mm. Um, and... It, it, it makes me feel a bit like I, I um, myself and Sarah Pascoe dress quite similarly on stage where we dress a bit like kind of children, but we don't have to not. And we like wearing colourful clothes because it reminds us of fun. And we go onto stage and wear colour and it goes fun. And other days I can wear what I want because I'm feeling so fun. I don't have to wear colour, mm. but I nearly always wear sort of wackier clothes not on purpose because I'm like this jacket doesn't necessarily match the trousers but the jacket makes me feel calm the trousers make me feel silly the shoes make me feel grounded mm. so that's how I put my outfit together mm. you know rather than I was talking with an artist called Lindsay Mendick from who lives in Margate and she was saying that she has these yellow boots and the yellow boots are like almost like a power thing for her in the sense of like she giving her strength back. she yeah and somebody borrowed them or, or took them by mistake or something and then she didn't have them and it was almost like having her kind of her strength you know it's a bit like if you cut um, Samson's hair or something and the idea that you you know all that kind of thing and, and her and strength was in her there, strength yeah, yeah not, not necessarily her strength but I think it, it sort of gives you a bit of a boost doesn't it yeah. and means you can step out more confidently comfort blanket I yeah, guess yeah and, so, and yeah. I definitely have that and I've realised that I dress to exhibitions so if we're opening an exhibition with a certain artist without fail every single time I turn up to the private view or the opening of the exhibition wearing something that's almost related to the painting yeah, yeah, it's yeah. so weird and Carl pointed but it's it out even you me. two turned up tonight at my door dressed <laughs> like a band like you know Destiny's Child's mother Destiny's Child's mother Beyonce Knowles' mother yeah we love used her used to dress them yeah and you know the way they'd be like Kelly would have kind of the, the bra top version and the you know the trousers mm. and they were never particularly like of the trend at the time but they would be a colour palette for yeah. the three of Destiny's Child. They were child. in sync. In yeah. sync. Well, no, they were Destiny's Child. <laughs> Just a gentle gentleman. For anyone who's a fan of the 90s. Um, but when you two turned up, you 
weren't wearing the same outfit, but you look like you're on the same runway show. So both of you are wearing really colourful artsy fleece Fleeces, in different yeah. colours. We're so artsy, Both aren't of you we wearing us? like kind of like trendy loungewear, but that you can still go to the pub with. Also our shoes. Right, you know, our, yeah, shoes both, our shoes Our yeah, shoes are almost your identical. Your shoes are both wearing like trainers that are like designed trainers. And Correct. And you're both dressed artfully from the same band. My sister and I do that sometimes. And actually when I was, when I'd help design myself and Sharon, in um in in this way up i would want us we there's always something connecting us because i think i would steal my sister's top and make it a different outfit but we're connecting a tribe mm. and so i do that a lot with my brothers and sisters in my shows when i'm like dressing them with costume mm. i'm like why they naturally would come from the same family so there's one scene when we're in a wedding dress shop and we're both wearing similar polar necks because like we both, but she's wearing it with something different, but it's almost like that's how we connect to the tribe. So you two do the same thing. He's braver than me though, when it comes to color and Yeah, I just I just feel, I've realized recently, I'm so happy when I wear mental clothes and I've got to keep yeah. doing it more and more and more. And you know, we were at that GQ Playfulness. Heroes thing and I was wearing like Stella's kind of new collection, which is all mental patchwork colors. Mm. And the amount of people that came up to me and were like, you're so bold, you're so brave, you're the best dressed person, all this stuff. But I was like, but, everyone's wearing the same colour. Like everyone wears navy or... And I, I just can't do it. I've never... I've always not liked it. And Tracy Emin joked when she first saw this that I, I looked like a kid's TV presenter from the kind of 80s or something or 70s. Well, you do. It's almost like Jack and Nori. Yeah, <laughs> but, you're, but you're like, also, why is that bad? You're like, yeah, who I am. you're welcome. Imagine being as joyful as a kid's... Well, I don't know if they're, prob they're probably all doing LSD the side or something like that. But like, why... <laughs> not look like a kids TV presenter yeah. if it gives you a bounciness to yeah, go around it's weird. It, it's like, I love, I love mm. bright colours and I love right. clashing colours. Um, it's really crazy. Sister, because I've learned a lot about clothing and costume and symbolism through her work. But my sister always said about pride that the amazing thing about pride is we w walk around in life, especially in the city or in suits, wearing our insides inside and putting a suit over who we are. Yeah. So completely conforming color wise to the job. So you don't tend to know by the look of someone, by their haircut or a suit, who they are, whether they're straight or gay or, or what kind of, until you maybe talk to them or get to know them. But with pride, it's an open season to wear your, like whatever it is, you're just your a rainbow. big baggy t-shirt with your rainbow or maybe it's like handcuffs and you're going, this is what I'm into sexually. Whether it's like, you know, uh, like almost like versions of Halloween kind of horn devil horns on your things, like little skirts. But it's like, what are your most joyful things where you don't have to worry about whether you look like a kids TV presenter? Mm. You can wear your glittery socks and like colorful stuff and you get to wear the inner out. Mm. as a form of expression and art and that's one reason I love going to Pride because I feel just this like explosion of the inner ex like shown outwards like mm. that what you're saying about like the joy of looking like a TV well, it's Pride for you every day isn't it yeah every day is Pride it is I just want to be the Met, the Met Gala today, <laughs> dress yourself proud love that song um, I, I actually <laughs> I actually walked up to Heather Small <gasps> Um, when I was about 23 and she'd made it such a bad story but like I, I, I grew up loving her and um, and I saw her and I didn't know what to say because I was so blown away it was her and I said to her I love your new album I can't remember what it was called now but I was like I love your new album and I had 
hadn't actually really heard it. But oh. I told her that I was my favourite album. And she looked at me and she was like, that was like our least successful album. I'm so touched. Do you like it? And we oh. had this like moment I hadn't actually heard the album. You lied. But I lied to her. You lied to but Heather I, Small. I lied to Heather Small, but I love her so much. Oh. It was just because I sort of didn't know what to say. I'm worried now she'll hear this. I know, and she'll hate she me. Listens. Have you listened to the album since? Yes, I have. I, I actually, I listened to it after good? I bought it on cassette. Recently? On cassette. Have you listened to it recently? <laughs> It's an artistic it's... album, actually. Yes. And that's probably why it wasn't mainstream mm. successful. Yes. But I love her. So I Heather really Small love her. Heather Small, I love you so the much. The compliment still exists. Yes, it does. Yes. It was just it was a just bit. A Heather Small I wasn't life. living as authentically then. Yeah. I spotted love something it. across the room here. You have a lamp, which is an artistic lamp. Oh, yes. It's my hero. I bought that. My origin story. Your origin story. That's how I got into art. If you let your hair grow across your brand. Well, I actually, that happens. Absolutely. And sometimes I, 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 I pluck it. You should I, Frida Kahlo I need to Frida Kahlo brows. in my brow. I yes, love I her. got that in Etsy. It's a lampshade with Frida Kahlo on it. It's that. become quite a, a, a known print now, that though, I have to say, on a lot of things. I think people are using it a lot. Well, that's because you're talking about Etsy. Right? I want to talk about fan art because I looked, I looked, I, I did a, a Google search for you, Ashling B, comma, space, Art. art and art, Etsy come up and on Etsy there's like a couple of drawings and paintings of you from this way up poster there oh. is uh, there's a whole Taskmaster magnet collection which you appear in one of were oh, you aware wow. that there was fan art being made of you sometimes people tag me on Instagram right the only one but like you see stuff all the time and I think a bit of me is maybe snobbish by how much was just made like with loads of filters on it on a phone <laughs> Got it. and how much was like paint I think I am a bit maybe that's where my last barrier is to snobbishness of like how much of this was actually like done on an app by hand you're like I want to see your talent your yeah, actual or like, like some kind of have you not of been asked to do portrait artists yet I was yes but I, I wasn't available at the uh. time but I recently an artist in Ireland hand painted uh, um, one of the the not screen grabs but pictures from my second series is me looking a bit fed up with um, a penis hat so a baseball cap with a kind of like Muppet looking penis on Love. it but just looking a bit deadpan so yes uh, this Irish artist called Lynn Kennedy tagged me and she had hand painted the painting and there it is oh I love that and it's, we need to get a picture of that yes that is a beautiful thing and it's the picture of me with a dickhead hat and I would never like buy any paintings of myself because I feel like then your house just becomes sort of like I haven't got anything a museum to yourself yeah but this one I'm actually really proud of because it's silly and ironic and she was like oh my god I'm so embarrassed that that's a piece of art that you have of mine, I do so many more better things, <laughs> and I. But I, I was like to her, I love, it. like I love it, and I you love great in it, yeah. that it's 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 a really silly. It's also a picture of me in like that the behind the scenes artist took where I'm not really thinking, so I'm not animated, mm. but yet I've got this dickhead, <laughs> quite literal dickhead, like a dickhead hat, and it's just really to me that's where like when Joe was talking about humor some element of humour within the, the stuff. It's just, yeah, so that's... And, and she hand-painted with oil. It's really good. And talking of Joe, you have one of Joe's works by your front door. One of Joe's works by mine. What is that? Is that a painting well. he made It's you? painting... Uh, no, actually, I think it is a print. Okay. If that was an original, it's probably pretty valuable 
Joe Lysis' work. Yeah, sells for millions. Twelve point five million. It, you know, it wouldn't million. surprise me if they started being. No, they are. He's major. Oh, they, they will. They will because they're 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 He's amazing. amazing. Yeah. And Joe, I remember Joe and I were living together in Edinburgh, and he'd started making these silly cards. And I say silly as in like his humor. He would describe them as silly. You know, like um, they were one was um. Uh, we started from the bottom, now we're here, kind of based on the song. But it was like an old man um, going up the stairs on his uh, like seat, you know, his electronic seat. Yeah. And I just said, we started from the bottom, now we're here. And with like an old man going up the seat. I was like, God, Joe, you can really draw. And that was probably about six years ago. And then he'd start putting up bits and pieces more. And, and, and it's just for someone to have a style so so innately mm. and joe does i would i the would color palette you recognize yes i think away. there's yes. an exhibition in that the stannis airlift years the yes. stannis airlift yeah, and, yeah. and that was his dentist day I, I really want to curate <laughs> that show period. i think that's yeah. a major yeah. major yeah. moment for joe lysa um, um we love and also when i was coming out of the bath earlier oh um God. who who was the artist I, that's my favorite work in the house the, the one that's yes coming down from the stairs it's an amazing so work. that is my friend oliver kilby and Ollie became one of my close friends. I moved to London, went to drama school and then... You went to Lambda, didn't you? Yes, I yeah. did. And then moved to kind of North London. And he was more one of my North London friends. And he'd gone, he'd studied fine art. I can't remember where. But he um, he also worked with like, I think Damien Hurst and stuff like that. So mm. he'd sort of like apprenticed in different places. What, in his studio? Um, yeah. Oh, uh, right. uh, and he... His art is so beautiful. I've a couple of his prints and then some of his original paintings, which he was like, will you buy these? And at the time I was just starting to do panel shows and I was like, of all the art I want to buy, it's yours. Um, because he was sort of running out of space mm. and he frames, now he has a framing business as well and he frames all of the art that I buy. It's one of those things I'd always advise people that if you take a nice photo, print it, go to Snappy Snaps or whatever. There are also other printers available. Um, and And... Get a hard copy. Don't just leave it in your phone. And if you have a piece of art or a painting, if you can afford to spend an extra 50 or 60 quid or something nice, whether it's your wedding photo or whatever, get it framed. And it just elevates it elevates what you have and just makes a nicer... It, it gives kind of um, uh, quite a literal platform to the, the piece mm. that you've bought. So I try and get everything properly framed, like even this little dickhead painting. Ollie like, just framed that simply. Um I try to sort of get him to frame everything mm. properly. But he does very fine art. So his stuff almost looks like photographs. Um, his work, it's just so incredible. Yeah, I saw an incredible really, sculpture really of his, which is A Thousand Cranes, which is a sculpture yes. of um, origami mm -hmm. cranes yeah. out of like coloured paper. But yeah. like obviously a thousand of them in the title. Mm -hmm. It's like, and it's... Yeah. In this like plexi box. It yeah. looks so incredible. I think Ollie's going to be one of those people who um, will slowly but surely, and hopefully, like even by doing this podcast, you'll hear more about his work. And then he's just one of those people who I think will be, he's, he's in it for the long run. He's yeah, quietly yeah. doing his but work as well as for the long run. He is a costume and set designer as well. Well, he actually, um, I remember he helps my sister Sinead with certain things. Ah. So when she needs really fine work done or painted, like, um, uh, painting like shoes for uh, Sinead assistant design Beauty and the Beast so like he would ha come in and hand paint a lot of the stuff oh, or... wow. so he he's one Love of those that. people like his frames are beautiful and you think well how can a frame be beautiful well it can 
and that he's one of those people, you know, if someone's just artistic yeah. and they just can sort of turn it to anything. Um, and crafting. Yeah, it's and that crafting care though as well. It's yes, that, exactly. The, the love and care that you yeah. feel in what they make. Exactly. Yeah, I was really struck by the painting when I came down the stairs. Yeah. I think it's extraordinary work. Well, we can um, we can show people. Yeah, we people, can photograph uh, that. Photograph yeah, yeah. That it's going to well. go around your home. This is like yeah, MTV oh Cribs. Yes, I don't know why there's pictures <laughs> really of my underwear in there though. Really <laughs> really <laughs> Lloyd Roseman is waiting somewhere in this house. So we ask every guest that comes on two very important questions. The first one is if you could do an art heist, if you could have any work of art in the world from anywhere in the world for yourself, happily legally what would it be and why you know what it's Bartholomew's Beals um large sculpt painting I talked about earlier on I'm not someone who's like oh I'd love a Rothko I want the stuff it's almost like you know that um question what people would you have at your dinner party like your ultimate dinner party like alive or dead I'd probably have like the two of you having a great time just want your mates there yeah I just want my mates there and I loved that um, painting of Bartholomew's the really large one so you got off of that at the it. time it was yeah but it was so it was, it was well out of mine right, yeah. yeah where um, is it now do you know I don't know but I think it was bought I, right. I think I checked in years later with him and he was like no that's gone so if someone if that was available now if someone listening to this was like oh I've got that I want to sell it well, we'd have to talk price, of course. Yes. It seemed, depending on where, you know, I can't go. Like, and also, I don't have a wall big enough for it, but I would still get get it. And mm. you can see, like, I've, I don't have room for a lot of the stuff in my house already. So it's just kind of crammed with plants and paintings and I'm running out of walls. And, oh. and there's nails everywhere. I don't take care. Oh, same. You take a picture oh, off my wall, there's like six nails behind me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's actually, to be honest, why I buy art, to cover up the holes in the walls. <laughs> From ba- from misplaced, misjudged <laughs> shelves. Position, I was yeah. trying oh. to put up. <laughs> oh, the other question we ask every guest is, what is your favourite colour? Which is a good one for you because colour seems to be so important. Yes, I can tell you now, and I don't have it on now, but normally my nails are the colour, my phone uh, cover is the colour, I have handbags and tops, um, turquoise. It's on your ring. Oh. Yeah, it's, it's on my ring, my uh, versions of green. So nearly every wall in my house is painted on a, with a version of green. Yeah. Um, even the white actually has a green in it and the blues have greens in it. Um, I don't know if it was something that happened over the pandemic where I'm like trying to get back to Ireland and living in the countryside, but mm. just stuck in my house. Is that why you got a horse as well in the living room? So he is actually, um, that's actually um, Dawson from Dawson's Creek. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, they're uh, what a random uh, not callback to like I think a Simpsons or a Family Guy joke <laughs> randomly. Um, not even my own work. Um, uh, so turquoise. I wonder where they see it. And when Joe early uh, on when he was doing his podcast, I think he talked about like a type of a type of like PPE blue or something like that. that oh right. yeah, it's yeah, not yeah. far that's what off. Grayson Perry called it. His yeah, blue. A PPE, a PPE blue, blue, but it's like a cyan, and it's not like that's my color, but it's even like see these the books around the house, the oh, turquoise. Yeah, yeah, You'll yeah. find it. Dotted like around. a mint yeah mint turquoise yeah. that spearmint color and i find it really it feels healing mm. and it, if ever i'm around lots of green i'm happy oh what's the best advice you've ever received when it comes to your art <sighs> what's the best advice I, I think it's like like it because if you're gonna have it in your hat like like if you, you don't go wrong if you no, I mean but your I own like. art. Sorry, your oh, my own, own, oh, my as an own artist yourself. Work. What's the best advice you've ever? That was given? good advice, though. That was good. Yeah, advice. Like, sorry. If you're going to live with art, that advice. But you know what? I actually think it sort of sits with the same thing that, like, if you're going to buy art, 
love something because you're going to have to live with it. And the same thing is if you're going to write something or I used to say sometimes even with stand up, I was like, oh, what do people want to hear about? And you're the one going to have to repeat it over and over again. And if you do something that you're like, oh, I'm going to have to repeat this and it's for someone, not you, you're you're going to deaden yourself inside. So it's the same like, you know, this way up was incredibly tough to make in lockdown but I I would have died for my art, for the work I was making and what I was doing. Mm. And so at least it was worth something. Mm. And so the same with the the words or the worth, because you never know that it might take off. So don't get contractually bound into something that if it takes off, you might get stuck in it. Um, and I know we've all done jobs like that where you're like, it's seven years later and you're still working on it. You're like, oh no, why? And And that would be... That would be my advice because I think people can be like, oh, they're not really commissioning that at the moment or they're not really looking for that or they're not really looking for me at the moment or what I do. You're like, mm, people listen to stuff that's good um, or they like stuff that's good. And if yeah. it's your best version of your thing, people are probably going to go for that, even if no one's listening to experimental jazz right now on the pop scene. You know, yeah. some, if your stuff is good, it'll break through. Essentially be yourself. You know, and sort of um, find out Lo- how to... Love your work. Yeah, love your work, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think is the thing. Love your work, love yeah. Love what you do, yeah. 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 Talking about loving your work, we have a mutual friend who's in your show, uh, mm. Kadeef Kirwan. Kadeef Kirwan. And you have a photograph of him, which I noticed the minute I got here, and I, I love yes. that photo of you two. It's he's like also a joyous become a big photo. art collector. He's, he he's going to eventually come on talk art. He said he's not quite ready yet, but he wants to. Big. He is going to take big, over big, the art big. world. Art he's collector. a massive art he's obsessive. He's got an amazing eye as well. But also, he gave you a, an artistic gift there. Yes. So Kadeef plays Bradley in This Way Up, and he's also in a million other things. Uh, but I like to say that that's his most important role. And he was also script editor on series two of the show and Kadif basically I really really more than comedy art love potato waffles and um after uh, my series won the BAFTA um he got his artist friend whose name I momentarily forget I apologize again to commission a golden potato waffle for me uh, mounted on like a cement block and it's it. I didn't expect it at all. It wasn't for a birthday or anything. It was just like for our friendship. Mm. And it sits there as one of my most prized possessions. And in a fire, I might grab that first. Love that. Yeah. Over the BAFTA. Yeah, without a doubt. Oh, they can just reissue one of those grand or like, you know, I got the photos of it at the time. That potato waffle is that golden potato waffle is so it's our friendship. It's the work. It's someone doing something so kind and special and thoughtful for you. And it was like one of those moments where I'm like, you did that for me. Oh, my God, that's that's above and beyond. Like that's so that isn't seeing something in a gift shop and picking it up. That's going out of your way because you love me. And so I look at that and think, oh, I am loved on the days where you might not feel like it. Well, you are definitely that. We all love you. Absolutely. And, um, this has been And heaven. I've loved every minute of talking with you. Thank you so much for yeah. coming on, Ashley. I've had an absolute ball, guys. Let's all go for a drink. Yeah, let's do that. Let's, let's go it. get wasted. This is fantastic. Yeah. I actually That's drank cool. champagne last night and I don't really drink. Did and you? All day today, I've just been like... When he drinks, he only drinks champagne. Yeah. That, do you know what? I'm so humble. We're like town mouse and city mouse. I hate champagne. I know. I was talking to I know, last that's, night you said that to me. Uh, like, I love that. That's the most... Um, uh, like cl- thing no, you classic said. arty people yeah. you've come across as. I actually don't like champagne, and you go what? <laughs> <laughs> but what do you drink at openings of galleries? Exactly. <laughs> when they pass around things, 
You don't even drink champagne. Qu'est-ce que tu fais dans le matin? What do you do in the morning? Um, yeah, don't very humble. Don't like uh, truffle oil or champagne. Just but very down to earth. Haven't you just you, you, you like just couscous? Couscous. <laughs> it bulks out a deli, but I wouldn't say I enjoy it. Like I wouldn't actively seek it out. It's just like there, isn't it? You know, couscous. But I saw with your second series, you had your um your like poster with you on it for the for the for promoting the series up in Hollywood, like in Los Angeles. Billboard. So surely you're at all these like champagne events. Yeah, now. it's really frustrating because they come lo- and and I was at a restaurant last night. And they were like, "Hi, we're big fans. Can we offer you a complimentary uh, champagne?" And I I had. To be like oh could I have something else <laughs> like you can't really ask because that is peak celebration but if you're like can I have something less celebratory but that I'd rather have like a vodka coke yeah like a vodka too. coke or like can I have um, like a rum and pineapple like could I have that please free you love pineapple I, love I had pineapple in our green tea yeah, to be honest I've never had green tea with pineapple uh, flavouring but it was literally the best green tea I've ever had it's delish I'm now going to start doing that joy. at home it's it brought me joy all the way green. through this yeah. interview it's green. It's green. and it's green yeah. and this this holiday season which is when this episode's coming out you're in a you're in a movie aren't you home alone home alone home sweet home alone and you're the mother in that i am the mother in it yeah so i'm sure there'll be more champagne coming your way like, what was that like? where did you God, film did that you not listen to the podcast we listen we've started filming it in montreal then lockdown happened then we went back and quarantined in lockdown montreal and film finished it in september or october i think this year last year last year, last year, right. year, last year. but then we had reshoots here in between here and America uh, this year. So it's like been a big old... Who's playing? Uh, so I know what you're going to say. Who's playing? <laughs> it's a reboot, not a remake. And I have to say that, I think, four times a day now. <laughs> but who plays the robbers? Well, it's a reboot, not a remake. So it's not the same thing. Oh, right. Who plays the... Um, it's a reboot, not a remake. So it's not the same thing. Because people just want to know. Oh. And who's the... No, it's a reboot, not a remake. <laughs> Um, so while there is a mother and a left-at-home kid, the story is very different. <laughs> <laughs> Who's a, how old is a left-at-home kid? <laughs> like it's it's eighty-three. Eighty-three. <laughs> it's someone who left the care patient at home that they were supposed yeah. to look after, like their grandparents. In a home alone. Is Macaulay involved on any level? Um, uh, no, I think they tried to get him involved, but maybe he d- he said no. I think he's like... He's too busy being in the Gucci yeah. fashion campaign yeah. that he just he's walked. He's very, like, busy. living his best life. Yeah, he love him. lost his childhood to it all. Mm. So, um, so, yeah, uh, Archie Yates, who's in Jojo Rabbit, plays the kid who gets left home alone. He's oh. a real sweetheart. But he started off at, like, at age nine and ended at age 11 because it was a whole pandemic and we had to shut down. Wow. So, he looks brilliant. I saw the um, I saw the trailer. Yeah. Which yeah. he looked hilarious and, and really I, brilliant. I think but... he's, like, he's iconic looking like he is in Jojo Rabbit in the way Macaulay is, which I think is a good thing. Because yes. even yeah. when you're talking about symbols, like you want someone to look different yeah. rather yeah. than trying to match an old, you know, kind of when people are like, it's a vegan steak. And you're like, just... Give me something else. It doesn't have yeah, to be a yeah. vegan steak. It can just well, it's be, a reboot, you know, isn't it? It's not a remake. It's not a reboot. <laughs> <laughs> if anyone doesn't know, it's a reboot. It's, it's a reboot, not a remake. Oh, we um, can't wait well, to we're looking that. forward to I that. Hope someone I... samples that and it's... puts like a beat. It's a reboot, oh, but not a remake. It's a reboot. It's a reboot. Maybe, maybe you'll remake. get Christmas re- number re- one. And on that note, that fine musical note, we would like to thank you for coming on Talk Up. What is your Instagram? At We Miss B. That's spelled B E A. 
And, Fab. and I'll also, when the podcast comes out, if you come onto my Instagram or the lads Instagram, of course, I'll have like all the different people that we talked about. This Amazing. Yeah. And for really images of everything that. we've talked about, you can visit at TalkArt. Thank you for listening. We'll be back very soon. Thanks, Ashley. Thank you, Ashley. Goodbye, we love you. Boy. <laughs> Bye, boys. That is the best goodbye we've ever had. Bye. You've been listening to Talk Art with Robert Diamond and Russell Tovey. Follow us on Instagram at Talk Art, where you can view images of all artworks discussed in today's episode, with music by Jack Northover. Subscribe to Talk Art at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a rating and write us a comment. Thanks for listening. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com